When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blaze Radio Network. And now, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. Oh, no. Reese Witherspoon is in trouble again. So yesterday, we talked about the trouble she got in when she tweeted about uh, the metaverse, saying that in the near future, every person will have a parallel digital identity. Avatars, crypto wallets, digital goods will be the norm. Are you planning for this? And she took a beating for that, which I completely disagree with i think that she's right in asking that question it's a good question i know the you know the funny response is blink twice if mark zuckerberg is holding you hostage but i mean it's a good question in today's world now she has instagrammed something that she's taking a beating for i don't know why we're beating up on reese witherspoon but we are uh she tweeted uh, instagrammed a, a post that said, let's talk about habits. Are there any that have improved your daily life? Here are some I'm working towards. Now she's, I mean, she's not doing them. She's just working towards being able to do them. Start the day with a glass of water. Get 10 minutes of outdoor light at Huberman Lab recommends morning light. Three, spend 30 to 60 minutes reading daily without distraction. Okay, I mean, it's just Reese being Reese. And hey, these are some habits that I'm working toward to you know, enhance my life. We all want to do that. We want a better way to enhance our lives, right? I know we do. And, you know, we're supposed to start each day with that big glass of water. It's better for you than coffee. Get that water, get that rehydration going. And then we need to get that outdoor light. Uh, that's good advice during this uh, coronavirus days. Get outside and 30 to 60 minutes reading daily without distraction. Tough to pull off. I mean, without distraction. And for me, I read way more than that online and stories, but a undistracted right? Undistracted. Yeah. Uh, a, a time not being distracted for reading a book, 60 minutes a day. Whew. That's a, that's a tough one to pull off, but she took a beating for asking those questions too. And one of the funny responses was from the, uh, celebrity chef, uh, food network star, Ina Garten. Is that her name? Ina Garten, Ina Garten. Uh, she's a huge star. I know really who exactly who she is. Uh, she, she replied to that going, uh, uh, my formula is easier to follow. One, drink more large cosmos. Two, stay up late watching addictive streaming series. Three, stay in bed in the morning playing Sudoku instead of reading a good book. Four, spend more time safely with people you love. In a pandemic, I do what I can. <laughs> I could probably pull that formula off better. 
but it's not a bad thing. I'm not sure why we hate Reese Witherspoon so much, but we do. Welcome. I don't. I don't. I mean, I love Reese, but you, it sounds like you don't like her. Welcome. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. So I can't get over the 40 youth that uh, started their hunger strike advocating for the Senate to pass the Freedom to Vote, the John R. Lewis Act. It's a combination of voting bills. And of course, it's being argued that without this bill, voter suppression. Oh, oh, okay. But we're so for this bill that we have gotten together and we're going to have a hunger strike. We believe in it so much. Except a few have already dropped out. Yeah, we didn't. We were going to have to go without food for more than a day or so. They haven't just passed the bill because we were striking out front. Oh, no. And I'm getting hungry. The three activists already and probably more uh, when you by the time you hear this have dropped out. Uh, They said uh, (laughs) the co-founder said, uh, oh, the feeling is numb, Uh, the headaches and. The trouble sleeping, I I haven't wavered, but it's really hard. <laughs> I hope it doesn't get much worse than this. I don't know how much longer I could go on for. She's the co-founder. I mean, you got to go with it if you're going to go. I don't believe that there's anything or anyone. I mean, that's a... I don't think there's anything or anyone that I would ever think to myself, I can go on a hunger strike to get them or that person to do what I want them to do. Why would you go on a hunger strike? We hear about it all the time and we frequently we hear about it. Prisoners going on hunger strike for better care. And now we've got these uh, 40 youth, well, only 37 now, uh, going on a hunger strike to try to change the minds of Congress to vote on the John R. Lewis Act. I mean, they're pulling out all the stops. They've got Nick Saban from the University of Alabama. They've got NBA Hall of Famers. They've got uh, all kinds of people that have written a letter to support the federal overhaul of the U.S. elections to According to uh, this report, secure our democracy. Ugh, can't believe it. But they want Congress to exercise its constitutional responsibility to enact laws that set national standards for the conduct of federal elections and for decisions that determine election outcomes. Oh, uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure that Nick Saban isn't going on a hunger strike. Yeah, I'll sign the letter. I'm sure I'm all for securing our democracy and everything, but I'm still going to eat. Okay. I'm not going on a hunger strike. We're pulling out all the stops. I'll tell you, Joe Manchin and cinema are unwavering and I hope that they can remain that way, but it's going to be very, very hard, especially if people start dropping like flies, if they just start dying from the hunger strike out front, that might change somebody's mind. Maybe these protesters uh, need to be aware of that. Look, if you die, you might get them to change the bill. So 
Okay, starve on, brother. Starve on. Did you order your free COVID-19 test? Well, I know it's not free. I get it. It's your tax dollars at work from the government. I got it. But you can order them up and running. The website's up and running, covidtest.gov. And it was supposed to start today, for those of you listening live, on the 19th of January, 2022. But they started it a little earlier, yesterday, and uh, it's up and running. I ordered mine this morning. They're expected to ship uh, within 12 days. So I should get it sometime, I don't know, three or four months. I know what they're expecting. <laughs> I just, I don't know that it's actually going to happen. All right. I have my tracking number from the United States Postal Service, but they said that they've already got 420 million tests ready to go and they expect a billion uh, that they're going to ship out. All right. No problem. I know that uh, Biden wants you to be able to go get masks too for free. And again, I know for free. I, I get it. But the Postal Service has been got 7,000 temporary workers uh, working to label and package the test kits at 43 existing facilities. Wow. Okay. That's great. The kits could be mailed to as many as 160 million U.S. addresses. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, it was pretty easy. You know, you just put in your name and address and there you go. You're done. Send. Uh, you get, I'm supposed to get four in the mail. So if you want your free at-home tests, do it now at uh, covidtests.gov. I see where the Postal Service also uh, unveiling new stamps for 2022. You know, I've wanted to run the post office for a long time. And I know this is a common thread throughout chewing the fat. But I believe that I could run the United States Postal Service so much better. I mean, it's a losing opportunity for a lot of people. And I think that I could turn this thing around. And one of the ways that you could turn this around, perhaps, is maybe not coming up with new stamps and paying for new stamps. How about we get a couple of stamps? Maybe, I don't know. I, you know, top of the, I am willing to negotiate at the round table uh, of how many stamps we need. And then that's it. Uh, those are the stamps you get. Uh, we keep raising the price, but we're still giving everybody new stamps. <laughs> okay. I mean, do we need the African daisy? Do we need flags on barns? Do we need floral ge- geometry? Uh, do we need mariachi stamp honoring the mariachi music? Uh, I would say no to that. Uh, do we need, need the Monument Valley stamp? Do we need the Palace of Fine Arts stamp? Do we need the Shell Silverstein <laughs> stamp? No, we don't. I mean, for those of you, I'm sorry if you don't know who Shell Silverstein is. I mean, I did. I knew that Shell is one of last century's most prolific children's authors and artists. And the stamp honors his book, The Giving Tree, which was first published in 1964. I mean, I, I, I was embarrassed that I didn't know. So, you know, now I wanted to share with you that that's who Shell was. I would have said a she too, but apparently <laughs> Shell is not a she. Shell is a he since the stamp is honoring his book. But do we need all those? I would say no. I would say no. And I would, I'm would. i sticking to my guns. 
Ooh, I gotta find a new phrase. You can't say sticking to your guns. I'm sticking to my belief that if I were going to run a campaign, my campaign in today's world would be vote for me. How about no? Vote. How about no? Jeff Fisher approved this message. Uh, that's, you know, that's my campaign slogan. How about no? All right, let's go to the break room. I need something cold to drink desperately. So good. I don't think Reese has one of those every morning. All right. So what do you do if you're the Grammy Awards and you have postponed your awards in Los Angeles at the, uh, where the heck were they going to be? They were going to be at the crypto.com arena. That's right. And that's been uh, postponed. What, where do you go? Hey, you know what? We like you, California, but we're going to Vegas. That's where the Grammy Awards should be anyway. I know they all live in LA and think that that's the place to be. But new, uh, we're moving it to Vegas on April 3rd. That's right. And Trevor's still going to show up. Apparently Trevor Noah is still going to show up as the host of the Grammys. I'm sorry, the master of ceremonies at the Grammys, but, uh, it's going to be in Vegas and not in LA. All right. Have a nice day. Take care. I mean, they're looking to find a way to make some money, right? I mean, last year it was postponed and then they had the, I don't know, the toned down show, which was really, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, oh yeah. Not good. Those are two words. Uh, but, uh, so they lost, uh, you know, the Grammys generates a lot of money and they get a lot of TV money. A lot of people want to see them. I do too. But, uh, you know, if it's going to be toned down and you're going to be doing agonizing old interviews and old clips through the whole thing, no thank you. And we've got uh, John Batiste and Justin Bieber and Doja Cat and her, Billy Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo. I want to see them. Let's go. Bring them out. So instead of worrying about whether they can show up at Crypto.com Arena, let's go ahead and move it to Vegas. All right. Vegas says, yeah, come on. We got it for you, baby. We're here for you. And you know what? We'll just, the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Yep, we're fine. Don't worry. We got you. You don't have to worry about COVID or any of that stuff here. (laughs) Oh, and YouTube. Oh, no. I know. Suzanne Daniels, the uh, global head of original content. Yes, she uh, resigned. Uh, She's been there for six years already. Wow. Uh, she's generated a lot of cash, done a lot of big things for YouTube and she's out now. Have a nice day. So apparently the YouTube chief business officer, Robert Kinsel, K-Y-N-C-L will be, uh, you know, taking over, I guess. And, uh, he's, I guess, I don't know if he, or he's just speaking off and saying, yeah, we, we're going to go ahead and retreat from original programming. And focus on creator-driven initiatives, such as Creator Shorts Fund, Black Voices Fund, and live shopping programs. Oh, okay. So the whole uh, original content is going to go away. Yeah, we're going to go back to user-generated content. That's that's who we are. Wait, what about the shows you've already got contracts for? Well, we're going to continue those, maybe. 
if you are working on those shows, uh, you should expect to hear from us directly. (laughs) Oh, okay. What about, uh, you know, what about the programs that were under the black voices and the, the kids funds? Well, we're still going to do those. Don't be silly. We're not going to get rid of those shows, but if you work on anything else, yeah, you're gone. Have a nice day. Oh, all right. I guess. Thanks. And we have, I cannot go this program without mentioning who died today. Uh, fashion icon, black fashion icon, Andre Leon Talley, dead at the age of 73. Throughout decades of long fashion career, he's a pioneer who paved the way for black designers, models, and editors in the fashion industry. He held positions uh, at Women's Wear Daily, the New York Times. He was, uh, you probably know him as uh, American Vogue's first black creative director, and later as the magazine's first editor-at-large, working side-by-side with Anna Wintour. And he uh, also the uh, British Vogue's first black editor-in-chief, uh, Edward Innenville, uh, thanked Tally for paving the way and said, without you, there would be no me. No word on exactly how or what caused his death, but he, you know, 73, dead. Uh, so... Sad news on that fashion icon. You you also may remember there's a documentary by director Kate Novak titled The Gospel According to Andre uh, way back in 2017. I mean, he got famous because he was like the fashion, I don't know. He was the fashion guy for the Obamas. Their advisor, their fashion advisor to the Obamas. And you remember because he really dresses in really uh Moo's by Jeffy look. Well, uh, a lot of times you'd see him uh, he was always had his big uh I don't know what you call him, robes, jackets, uh more of a more of a Moo by Jeffy look. Not quite a Moo's by Jeffy look, but definitely close. And that's how we became uh you know, fashion buds. Andre Leon Talley. And me, uh, Andre, uh, rest in peace at the age of 73. Did you also see, speaking of who died today? Okay, so he didn't die. But Louis Anderson is in the hospital dealing with cancer. I know. It sucks. So the 68-year-old, now 68-year-old Louis Anderson. Wow. So he's resting comfortably according to his people. Uh, his representatives, uh, in his bed at, in Las Vegas, diagnosed with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which I guess is potentially curable, but it's reportedly aggressive. And uh, I'm guessing when they say it's reportably curable, that means, yeah, one guy <laughs> a few years ago uh, went ahead, you know, he lived, but everybody else gone. Very sad. This is why Norm MacDonald didn't tell anybody that he had cancer. Because now, whatever Louis does, whatever happens, it's all going to be about the cancer. I mean, remember, he had lost. He did a, he started losing weight. And that happens a lot, you know, when you're not trying to lose weight uh, and you lose weight. And if you're a fat guy, 
you're you're happy with it in the beginning you're like yes all right finally something is working and then you kind of go well i'm not really trying to lose weight and the weight is still coming off maybe there's something uh, wrong maybe there's a problem and so that happens a lot with uh, you know overweight people is that in the beginning they feel good about losing the weight so they don't really think anything is wrong and then by the time it's you figured out ooh yeah, I shouldn't be losing this much weight. Uh, you know, it's almost too late. I mean, he joked about, uh, I love Louis Anderson and his jokes. He joked the one, the big joke on 2020 on Conan was the intermittent fasting. He said, uh, uh, one minute I'm eating the next minute. I'm not, then I'm eating again. That way I'm only eating for 30 minutes out of 60, which is half He's trying to get down to 40, 20. I'm not eating the 40, and I'm, I'm not eating for 40 and eating for 20. Now, it's a wonderful thing, the intermittent fasting. Right? And my favorite line was him was he would come out on stage in the very beginning, in the early days of Louis, when he was, you know, doing the stand up act. He would come out and just stand in the middle of the stage with the mic, <laughs> the mic stand or the mic in front of him. And he would just stand there and look at the crowd and go, Don't worry. I won't be long. I'm between meals. That's funny stuff. Anyway, uh, prayers to Louis Anderson, who we now know is dealing with cancer and struggling and at 68 years of age, uh, you know, I hope he gets through it. I hope, I hope it does. I hope it's curable, but if he's in the hospital and he's been dealing with it now for more than a year and he's battling and we're now announcing it, that is not good. That is not good. Sad. So get well soon, Louis Anderson. We all want that to happen. You know, I've been watching 1883. We've talked about it a little bit on the show. Uh, 1883, it's on Paramount Plus. It's a, what's his face? Taylor Sheridan show. And I'm really enjoying the episodes, but I'm reminded of, you know, it's not that long ago. (laughs) It feels like it was so long ago, but we all have great-grandparents, some of us listening to the show may be great-great-grandparents who were alive then. And, you know, many of our grandparents were, you know, although born in the early 1900s, uh, didn't start out with, uh, you know, running water and a toilet in the house. And, I mean, my kids, (laughs) I can remember my grandparents' house having one bathroom. And being happy with that. I mean, my kids don't know a house that has one bathroom. What are we, slumming it? I mean, I know. I mean, it's terrible. Anyway, so I'm watching 1883. And they're, you know, they're struggling and how the change in the country is happening. And I don't know that I could have done it, A. I mean, we could walk. We could talk a lot about whether you could have lived that life. But that was your life then, so... You're living in it. Although in 1883, things were moving along pretty fast. This was the last of the pioneers going out from uh, uh, going from the east to the west, and a lot of that land in Oregon and California and Wyoming and the Dakotas were already getting uh, modernized. 
So now these people are traveling. They've come to Texas, Fort Worth, and now they're going to travel to Oregon. I know the you know the Wayne One family, the Dutton family. We know doesn't end up in Oregon. They end up in Montana. So I'm not sure when that split is going to happen. But how you know how people are treated and how they're dying off and how life, how hard life was, and how hard life was now on the frontier because in the cities life was pretty good for 1883. There was still a lot of violence and a lot of bad people there, but there were some rules and laws and regulations and you could, you know, life was not bad. In fact, in one of the episodes, the one, the wife, Mrs. Dutton, uh, she, uh, talks about how she had heard about a hotel in New York where the water gets pumped right to your room and what a cool thing that would be. Right. And so that was in 1883. So I, I just, it, uh, the times, man, you know, we joke around about even before then, I mean, even before any, any kind of, any kind of human interaction when it was wild, uh, you know, you would come to the river and say, you know, I'm good on this side. I don't want to cross. <laughs> I'll wait for, you know, I'll wait for the interstate to build a bridge before I cross it. I mean, it's pretty amazing how the how how these people traveled and got to places, and how difficult it was, and life was uh, a lot different than what we have now. And we look at 1883 like it was just so long ago, and it really wasn't. It really wasn't that long ago. We've come a long way. Uh, on the human scale of things, we've we've come a long way, and yet we've reverted to this ugly place that we were in right now, Jeff. No, I know, I know, but uh, it's pretty incredible. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, you should watch it. I, I just I find it amazing that you would do it, right? I mean, his this guy had a uh, fought in the Civil War, and then he created a life with the family. And, you know, and then his dream was to get out there and we're going to, we're going to go settle the West and find a place that's beautiful and get out of this hell hole that is, I think they were coming from Tennessee. And, uh, and then, you know, we're going to go, go North until I find something that speaks to me. But the struggle of getting there is pretty incredible. And you had to be a tough son of a gun to get through male and female. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I don't know that I'm that tough. I think I'm in the city uh, trying to, you know, maybe dealing cards at a bar, uh, pimping out some hookers. <laughs> maybe just, you know, I don't know. Maybe just sitting on a street corner begging for money. But that would be better. That would be better than driving a wagon in through the West, man. Oh. Tough. So I've been on Pat Gray Unleashed every day this week because uh, Keith has had COVID. I'm not sure when he's coming back. And I have not tested negative. Although I tested positive on Sunday was the last day that I tested positive. And if you're listening live today is the 19th 
of January 2022, which is Wednesday, because, you know, I tested, uh, and I'm not sick. I just haven't tested negative. And that's more on me. I know those of you that emailed me at chewing the fat, uh, at the blaze.com saying, is it really a policy of the blaze? You can't go to work till you have a negative test or am I just using it as an excuse? Well, look, uh, I, 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 they have not told me I could not come in. Um, uh, you know, they have their policies. And if I read the email, I could tell you the policies, but I haven't read the policy emails. <laughs> but, you know, this email they talk about beginning, uh, my understanding from the beginning has been that five to seven days after symptoms start, you aren't contagious anymore, even though you still test positive. Well, that is true. But they also talk about how if you, you know, with the new standards, you can go five days. And if you're fine, you don't have any symptoms uh, and you test negative, then you could go out and about your business. Right. But if you've come in contact. So after I tested positive and, you know, I had a I don't know how many days in there then my wife tested positive and got sick. So that now lengthens the window. Right. So I'm fine. I just I just haven't been uh, I haven't tested negative. I the no place has the quick tests. We joked around about the, you know, able to order, you know, four free ones from the government. But uh, uh, I've purchased home tests when I've found them. And I have a couple left in the drawer. And I just, I, I don't, I'll, I'll probably take one today because I was, I was threatened. Uh, <laughs> you better take one. Quick, cause I don't want to test positive again. I just don't. If I test positive again, I'm going to be so mad. Because, I mean, look, I realize right now hospitalizations have dipped for the first time since mid-December, right? So, I mean, models are, I I love this, though. They still want to scare you. Oh, sure. Hospitalizations have dipped uh, for the first time. Uh, We currently uh, have nearly 149,000 patients. But those models suggest that between 50,000 and 300,000 Americans may die from the disease by March. Yeah, it might, they, we all might drown from flooding, too. Uh, there might be a, a volcano go off, and we could all die, too. But it probably isn't going to happen, okay? It's probably not going to happen. And I wonder how long before people actually start saying, eh, you know what, we were kind of wrong. I mean, I know we had the big Rasmussen poll that talked about how they want to lock people up. And uh, they claimed the one poll talked about uh, 48% of Democratic voters think federal and state governments should be able to fine or imprison individuals who publicly question the efficacy of the existing COVID-19 vaccines on social media, television, radio, or in online or digital publications. <laughs> How about no? Uh, only 27% of all voters, including just 14% of Republicans and 18% of unaffiliated voters, favor criminal punishment of vaccine critics. That's even too much. That's way too much. Uh, all of it. It should be zero. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, you can't be a critic. This is America still. Uh, I get to be a critic if I want to be, okay? 45% of Democrats would favor governments requiring or temporarily 
requiring citizens to temporarily live in designated facilities or locations if they refuse to get a COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, how about no? We're just going to lock people up? Oh, if you refuse to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Look, that's fine, but we're going to lock you up. No, and come to think of it, we're not going to lock you up. We're just requiring you temporarily until you finally come around and get the vaccine to live in this designated facility. <laughs> okay, uh, no problem. They said that 29% of Democrats would, I'm sorry, Democratic voters would support temporarily removing parents' custody of their children if parents refuse to take the COVID-19 vaccine. That's more than twice the level of support of the rest of the electorate. Yeah, and that should be that should be zero again as well. But that is amazing that those people are out there. I mean, I get believing in the mandates for government workers uh, and large companies. Do I think it's ridiculous? Yes. But, you know, I, I get it. I got it. All right, it's your company. Do what you want. But, uh, I mean, they can't even get half the people to be okay with that. All right. According to this survey, uh, black voters, 63%, were okay with that. But 45% of whites, oh, 55% of Hispanics were for it too. So more than half of Hispanics and more than half of blacks are okay with the mandates for government workers and employees of large companies. Huh, that's interesting. And of course, the other minorities was only 32%. But that's still way too many, way too many people. Now, don't forget, that's 55% of the Democratic voters in this poll, right? And the poll surveyed 1,016 U.S. likely voters uh, conducted January 5th, 2022 by the Heartland Institute and Rasmussen polls. I'm sorry, Rasmussen reports. And, uh, so, okay. Uh, thousand people. I mean, I believe your polls. I get it. I, I you're pretty good Rasmussen. And it's probably a pretty decent poll, but that's a, that's a small number still though. Still should be zero. You want, you're going to lock people up because they won't get the vaccine. I go back to my campaign slogan. How about no? And we have that to worry about. And then we still have the trucker issue between Canada and the U S. So now regulations have gone, uh, they're up and running, uh, this past weekend that require drivers to be vaccinated in order to be allowed to cross into Canada and a reciprocal mandate is going to go live on the 22nd of this month, 2022. So those same requirements for driving crossing into the U.S. About 10% of the 120,000 Canadian truckers who cross the border may not be able to work those routes because they haven't been vaccinated. That's according to Trucking Alliance. Now, if you think tensions are bad now, uh, wait till you figure out what's expected for freight crossing the border now. Uh, lead time, flexibility. <laughs> Hello, uh, shippers and buyers are going to have to identify any shipments that might be impacted. 
uh, it's going to be an issue. So we need to definitely do something about that. I saw some pictures already of truckers striking uh, along the border and blocking the roads to try to prove their point. But uh, good luck. I know that they've had some clarifications on which truckers are exempt from COVID-19 shot or test mandate, but which we can get into. I mean, it's a, it's a long detailed thing, but I don't think that those clarifications are going to matter at the border, right? They matter inside the U S but at the border, Canada is like, if you're not vaccinated, you're not crossing the border. Oh, okay. Well, I've got a truckload of, uh, ketchup. Heinz ketchup that I want to bring into the country. I mean, I would be okay with that being turned around. Just bring it back into the U.S. We'll get it. No problem. (laughs) But that's going to be a problem. So you think items are going to be tough to find on the shelves? I mean, what do we get from Canada? Syrup, for sure. Oh, expect syrup shortages, right? I mean, we already, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the, the amount of syrup that comes into the country. But, I mean, I'm sure that the Canadians are going to be unhappy with being unable to get goods uh, that are shipped into their country from the United States that are no longer being shipped into their country because the driver of the truck isn't vaccinated. What good does that do? How does that serve a purpose? Because the driver of a truck is not vaccinated. What do, how does that have anything to do? They can go untouched and unbreathed upon by other humans in uh, in Canada, drop their load and move on. <laughs> yes, yes, that's and that's what they probably want to do to begin with. I want I gotta deliver these goods into Canada and get out. I want to drop my load and leave. That's pretty much the chain of custody for goods in Canada. I want to drop my load and leave. Yesterday, we talked about how Microsoft uh, is looking to get Activision for you know almost seventy billion dollars. I don't know that they're going to let that happen now. Uh, the antitrust division is all looking into it, but I mean, that's a, a, it probably will happen, right? I mean, in in today's world, it's probably going to happen, but I was looking at uh, some other companies last night that have, you know, what they've purchased and how much money they've spent and has it been a good deal? You know, uh, Netflix bought, uh, the Ronald Dahl story company for 700 million. I don't know. Was that worth it to them? Maybe. Uh, Apple bought Beats for $3 billion. I would say that was a good deal for Apple to buy Beats for $3 billion. Uh, Meta bought WhatsApp for $19 billion. Whew. I don't know if that was worth it, but it certainly was to them. Disney bought, we're getting into the $70 billions now. I mean, remember Disney bought 21st Century Fox uh, for $71.3 billion. I would say that that probably was a good deal. Yes, I, I would say I would agree that that was probably a pretty good deal. And then I guess the biggest accusi- acqu- acquisition, I guess the biggest acquisition for Amazon, it was for Whole Foods at $13.7 billion. 
I don't know that that was a good deal or not. Uh, I guess maybe in the long run it will be because, I mean, you can get stuff delivered right to your house if that works out better, you know, food-wise, uh, good. I mean, I ordered something from Amazon the other day. It came the same day. <laughs> I am in love with Amazon. Thank you. We ordered a product. Uh, I ordered a new Roku for the one TV in the living room because the TV now, I love the television, but it will no longer gets updates from Samsung. So I can't get some apps, some new apps on it because it doesn't update. So I just well, run the new Roku through it and I get all the new apps through that. Okay. The new Roku 5G or whatever the heck it is. But, uh, we, I was like, let's just get it. All right. We'll just get it and be done with it. I'm sick of hearing about it. And, uh, Amber's like, well, it could be here today. It'll be here in a couple hours. <laughs> That's the America I want to live in. You weren't getting that in 1883. Okay. That wasn't happening. That happens in today's world. My friends, today's world. I mean, Roku's on fire. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. They're trying to uh, start their own, you know, Roku channel, which I have watched in the in the past. Uh, they started it. They launched it a couple years ago. They want to compete with, uh, you know, other streaming platforms. They're now going to. They just are going to release, and I didn't realize this, that they're going to release the Al Yankovic story as its first original biopic. I know it's biopic. Stop it. But we'll see. Daniel Radcliffe is playing uh, Weird Al in the uh, biopic. Okay, cool. I <laughs> I guess that'll be okay. I mean, Weird Al has had a great life, and he's done some great things. I didn't know this, but Yankovic is uh, only one of five artists with a top 40 hit in each of the four decades from the 80s through the 2010s. All right? I know. It's like, really? Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. So only five artists have had a top 40 hit in each of the four decades. 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, 2010s. Okay, so we know it's Weird Al is one of them. All right. Uh, Michael Jackson. All right. Okay, Michael. Madonna. Wow, Madonna is in that. Whew, she is out of control. Kenny G. <laughs> I can't bring myself to watch one of one of the platforms, Prime or Netflix, has a Kenny G thing, and I just I can't. I want to. I want to, but I just can't. Uh, Kenny, I appreciate you, bro, but I just I can't. And Coming in at number five. Uh, this was in no order, and I have no idea what their hits were, which we could easily find out. You uh, 2 So, Weird Al, U2. Not you, but U2. Uh, Kenny G, Madonna, and Michael Jackson. All are the five artists who have had a top 40 hit in each of the four decades from the 80s to the 2010s. That's pretty impressive. Pretty darn impressive. 
And one last thing, it looks like I guess we are going to be involved in the Olympics. I can't believe that we're going to allow our athletes to go to Beijing for these Olympics, but it looks like we are. And I still can't get over that we're reporting that cybersecurity firms are saying, hey, those athletes need to use burner phones. Uh, I don't want to avoid to get snooped on. They're going to get snooped on. I don't understand. Uh, A, I'm sure they've all got TikTok. So they're getting snooped on anyway here in the U.S., clearly. Uh, And Facebook and Instagram and and Twitter and all other social media accounts. Plus, uh, they're going to be in this closed loop in China once they get there, right? They got to travel together. They got to stay together. They can't go outside of the... The area, that's it. And there will be, you know, guards. And if they break security, they go into some kind of quarantine. Quarantine. Uh, We're calling that, you know, we're calling your, uh, you know, the re-education camp quarantine. But if you're inside that window, then they're going to be able to know what transmissions are being transmitted. (laughs) I just, I don't understand. It's still, you're still there. You're still going to get... Snoop Don. So, you know, you know what? It's a good idea anyway. Just use burner phones. That could be one of my campaign uh, issues as well. How about no and just use burner phones? (laughs) Yes. Hello. I'm Jeff Fisher. Vote for me. Use burner phones. I mean, that's what homeboy from Louisiana, the guy that's running from a U.S. Senate. He's all for smoking pot. He wants you to vote for him because he thinks that uh, uh, marijuana drugs and laws are outdated, right? He said in his tweet, I hope this ad works to not only destigmatize the use of marijuana, but also forces a new conversation that creates the pathway to legalize this beneficial drug and forgive those who were arrested due to outdated ideology. Gary Chambers for U.S. Senate in Louisiana. Every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws. He's just smoking a blunt. of all drug arrests. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. States waste $3.7 billion enforcing marijuana laws every year. Most of the people police are arresting aren't dealers, but rather people with small amounts of pot, just like me. I'm Gary Chambers, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Thank you. All right, so good luck, Gary. Good luck uh, on your Senate run in Louisiana. And that's why maybe I just do an ad for for my campaign. How about no? And uh, just use burner phones. I'm Jeff Fisher, Chewing the Fat, and I approve this message. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.